daughter stole my iPad. Nice. But they didn't. It's right here. It's good to see you. Are you glad you're here? Yeah. Hey, I want to tell you that I love the generosity of our church. Man, I'm telling you what, we have such an amazing, giving, generous church. Last night, we got to... Uh, we got to hand out the holiday hope gifts to a bunch of people who came in, and many of you were there, and it was wonderful. The thing I loved about our church so much was that we just didn't sit there and like just hand gifts out and say, hey, needy person, you need stuff. We got stuff. Good for you. That, to me, that's demeaning, right? But here's what our church did. It was, it was amazing. We invited people in. We had tables set up all out in that mezzanine, and we had dinner. And like people would come in, and they could go get dinner, and they could come down and sit down. There's a bunch of volunteers hanging out, and, and, and all of the tablecloths were just... Um, butcher paper and crayons and people were drawing pictures and talking and laughing and playing tic-tac-toe and then at the end of the time we said hey how about we help you bring your gifts out to your car and we, people felt like they were honored that's what i love about this church is that you're not about just saying like hey we got stuff you don't we'll help you it's more like hey we love our city and we are going to help serve and we are going to be generous i just want to say way to go right come on it's awesome Awesome. I also want to tell you this. So many of you have uh, been giving towards the staff offering. And, and I want to say uh, on behalf of our staff, um, uh, thank you for doing that. And if you'd like to do that, you could still go on pscc.net and give to that. I appreciate that. Uh, it really helps our staff uh, feel honored and respected and taken care of. And they're buying stuff for their kitties and all that. So if you'd like to do that, it'd be awesome. And again, amen. Thank you so much. So Christmas. Christmas is like tomorrow. You ready? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are just like, I got a week. No, you don't. <laughs> it's going to be here in a second. Christmas. You know what I love about Christmas? I, I've been, uh, I love all of the, th- I love Christmas because it's predictable. I love Christmas because it's the same story. I love Christmas because ever since I was introduced to who Jesus was, it's the same message, right? You know, a wise men from the east, the star over the sky, the Mary Joseph, stable Jesus. I mean, the whole thing, right? I, I love it all. Last week, we had our children's, uh, children's, our children up here doing this play, right? And it was awesome. All the kids came. You guys worked hard. It was amazing. And we got to present a message. Of the, did you realize last week during church, all three services, there were five people who surrendered their lives to Jesus? It was awesome. It was awesome. Way to go, Katie, and your team. Uh, and I can tell you, uh, lives are changed because of what's going on in our church. I got to piggyback off of their message and talk to you a little bit about the details of the Christmas narrative, that, that whole manger scene thingy, like that, that whole idea, right? I got to share a little bit about that and, and, and watch people respond. And basically the message was this, that God was so detailed in everything that he did because he wanted to show humanity that it was entirely improbable and impossible for anyone else to figure that out. In other words, there is no way some human could have come up with all of the answers by all of the things that had to line up to make that that whole narrative work out. I mean, prophesying from 750 years before from Isaiah, who writes, by the way, there will be a virgin who will have a baby, right? 750 years before, let me tell you this, as Isaiah, you have to wonder at some point if you thought, what? He's writing the prophecy down. Now, 750 years later, crazy thing, right? There has to be two people who have the the lineage of King David who are near the city of Bethlehem who somehow make their way to the city of Bethlehem so that they can have a baby because he said so 750 years before. And I think to myself, that's so improbable. That's so impossible to make all of that happen. 
That's kind of the whole message. He wanted to say, listen, I'll show you who I am because I'm a God who can make anything happen that I want to. And I know everything in your life. And I want you to be so amazed at the improbability of all of that happening because I want you to show, who, show you who I am and who I can be in your life. That's amazing. You know, as I, I thought through that whole narrative over and over again, I, I spent more time thinking through the whole Christmas story and, and trying to figure out uh, if there's something new. Uh, one of the privileges I have as a pastor is I get to share a Christmas story every year. And, and I've done it, gosh, for almost 30 years. And, and in, in doing that, right, I've preached a lot of Christmas messages. You, you, can't, you can't really do different angles on something because it looks goofy. And, and I was like, I, I just thought, God, is there something I've missed in this Christmas narrative? Is there something I've missed in the journey, a detail that was left out that I've just kind of brushed over? Something that's amazing about the Bible that you have in your hand. Some of you who have them, some of you don't, you got to get one or we'll help you get one. Something amazing about the Bible is this, is that it stands up under the scrutiny of a test. Uh, Anything in the Bible, I'm telling you, any historical fact, it'll stand up under any provability, any, any situation that could come out to try to test it. How do I know that? It's the truth. It's the living word of God. You, you can't find a situation that, see, it doesn't say that right in the Bible. It's, it's there, and there's reasons for it. Every single time I've looked in the Bible to say, ah, that doesn't make sense. When I look a little bit, it makes sense. I'm telling you, it's crazy. There's no other religion on the planet that has the ability to go back to its core and say, prove it. Scientifically, prove it. The Bible's so scientific, it's crazy. All this stuff has happened because God wants to tell us a message he wants to tell you the message that he loves you and that he cares about you and he's interested in every detail of your life. So what about this Christmas story? What about this Christmas narrative? Is there something that, that I think there's something that I've missed for sure. There's something that I've glossed over, something that I've just kind of run past because it's been part of the story for so long. I just decide, decided in my, in my journey with God that I was gonna read this story slower and then just ask questions and try to figure out what it is that he's really saying. Again, I may be right, I may be wrong, but the truth is, something I feel like God showed me, and I want to share it with you today, a couple of details that maybe you have missed with me. If your Bibles, open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1, says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Stop. There's a lot in that sentence. There's a lot there. First of all, he called, the Bible calls Joseph her husband. They hadn't been married yet. They, they, it was, they, were, they were betrothed. They were engaged. An engagement back then was called a betrothal, right? A betrothal was more than just uh, put a ring on your finger and we're going to get engaged and you plan the wedding and I'll just wait for you. It's more than that, right? What a betrothal was is you were, you were legally married. What was his is yours. What was yours is his. But you were set apart for nine months, nine to 12 months, uh, to plan the wedding, to prepare as a bride, to prepare as a groom, and quite frankly, to prove that you had not slept together. That was Jewish. I'm telling you, they were, they were saying, listen, you, and so they had set them apart for nine months, right? And then they could come back together, consummate their marriage, and be married. That was their journey, right? So, so the Bible calls Joseph her husband. Joseph loved her. Mary loved him. I mean, they were about it, right? But they were set apart. They didn't text each other. They didn't send each other tweets, nothing. They, they were like apart, right? This whole thing is going on. Amazing to me. By the way, it says that her husband was faithful to the law. Translation, 
The dude loved God. He loved God. I mean, it was more than just some guy who casually went to church. He, he was faithful to the law. Literally means this. He did what he had to do to do it right. So he wasn't cheating. He wasn't trying to get around the, you know, the side. He wasn't trying to go under or just kind of shortcut the thing. He was doing it right. He was a good guy. Joseph was, we kind of look at Joseph and we're like, yeah, carpenter guy. Like he's no biblical hero. And, you know, he just shows up and then he disappears. And we're kind of like, yeah, Joseph, whatever, think about him. He's a big deal. I want you to know that. Let's go on. Verse 20. By the way, it said he was going to divorce her quietly. Think about the character behind that decision. He had every right to make a big deal and say, not my problem, it's yours. Let's go on. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from sin. Mm, I love this. So Mary's working on her wife, mom skills. Joseph's working on his husband, dad skills. They're working apart from each other. An angel shows up to Mary and says, Hi, favored woman. You're pregnant. Holy Spirit, right? There's something about that exchange that was pretty remarkable. Now, Mary was a pretty remarkable person too. I was raised Catholic, and in our Catholic stuff, I'm sure if there was a pendulum on, on, on value, and this was super high, Catholic Church, I mean, so, so on Mary, right, it was just a little higher than, than it could have been, right? And, and, and then as a, a Protestant pastor, we take Mary and we put her all the way over here, as if to say, you ain't nothing, Mary, you're just kind of a girl who showed up in the history. Can I tell you we need to put it like somewhere in the middle? Like, like I think she's pretty valuable. I mean, God chose her from all eternity and said, listen, you're going to bear the Son of God. She's not just some woman who just like, eh, shows up. But whoa, she loved God. She set her life aside to be faithful to God. She's no just happenstance, eh, she was available. She happened to be engaged at that time. It was a choice from God. She was a big deal. And unfortunately, I think of the Protestant churches, we have kind of pushed it off and been like, nah, because the Catholic church made a big deal about it. It's got to be somewhere in the middle. We have to have a place where we honor what people have done in the past. Men and women of God have walked the journey we didn't walk. And we need to honor them. Do we need to worship them? No, that's silly. Honor them? Absolutely. Emulate them? Come on. Yeah, man, walk in their footsteps. And allow God to show you how to do this journey. Let me tell you, there's nothing that will throw you off, nothing that will throw you off the wedding plan than being a virgin and being told you're pregnant. Right? Kind of put a wrench in the thing, right? Nothing that would throw you off like, hey, that wasn't my plan. Imagine, right? So Mary's doing her thing. You're pregnant. And she has to deal with this thing. Like never happened before, right? No whole deal, right? So uh, gets an angel to show up and the angel leaves. Here's what we don't know. What we don't know is how long it was before Joseph found out. We don't know how long it was. We know that there's family. You know, now they're going to be family. I mean, we know that. We know that they were in the same country. We know that the same probably area, Joseph's over here building a house or something for his bride. And, and we know that. So people were walking back and forth. They couldn't, but somebody was doing something. Somebody told. Somebody told. Joseph found out. How do we know he found? He found out from somebody before the, before the angel came to him. He found out from somebody that his fiance is pregnant. Hmm. Can you imagine? This is Joseph. He's doing, he's checking all the right boxes. He's doing all the right things. He's following God. And then he gets that message. But it's a God thing. Yeah, right. That doesn't happen. 
I mean, I don't know what Joseph thought. All I know is that Joseph was probably confused. I know Joseph was confused. You got to think he was confused. I bet Joseph felt alone. I bet Joseph felt misunderstood. I bet Joseph felt like, why did this happen to me? How could you do this, God? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And why did you make this happen? Because I thought she was supposed to be faithful in honoring me. You got to wonder. He didn't probably talk like that. But maybe he did. Maybe that's the same way in your life. Maybe your life has had a series of disappointments that you didn't plan on. Maybe it's, you've experienced something that show up in your life and you're like, ah, get this thing off my chest. This is too big for me. Maybe you feel like you're confused or you've been abandoned or you've been misunderstood and you're alone. And your only cry is, God, help me or leave me alone. And if you've ever been there, you know that, you know that phrase. Because you don't know what to do. If that's you today, I'm telling you, I want you to know God brought you here today. God is the God of details. God is the God that knows everything. God is the God that purposefully brought you here today or is having you listen to us online because he's got a word for you. He knows your journey. He knows your trial. He knows your, your weightiness. And he wants hope for you. But I can tell you at that time, Joseph didn't feel it. I don't think he did at all. I think, how do I know? Because he chose to divorce her quietly. He said, listen, I can't do this. And he has a dream. The angel says, hey, look, by the way, I think it's interesting. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. It says, as he considered this, he fell asleep. I'm convinced this is the most understated miracle in all of the Bible. As he thought about this, he fell asleep. That's miraculous. I'm telling you, if you've ever been through a dark night of your soul, if you've ever been through no one gets it, I'm all alone, if you've ever been to that place that, that you are alone, 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 you know that considering this does not bring about sleep. I think it's seriously an understated miracle. It shows up. Angel shows up to him in a dream. Joseph, this is really from me. He goes on. I, I often wonder to myself, like, God, how much trouble could it possibly have been Telling Mary something that had never happened ever, ever, ever. She's going to be pregnant. How hard would it have been to tell the angel, hey, when you're done there, swing by Joseph's house and let him in. Tell him a little something. Throw him a bone. Tell him, hey, look, this is going to happen. You know, so hang in there, big fella. Nothing. See, maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you feel like, God, you could solve this problem. God, you could fix this thing. God, you could straighten this out. And nothing's happened. All you hear is silence. That's what Joseph must have felt. I just wonder what it feels like to, to have to have journeyed that course. And finally, he hears from an angel. Stay in there, big fella. You got this. Hmm. Hmm. Why does God allow us to walk through trials? Why does God allow us to journey through the dark nights of our soul? Why does God make us feel so alone at times? Two reasons. One, he wants to show you who he is. God will bring you into the valley of the shadow of death because he wants to reveal who he is to you. He wants to show you how big he is. He wants to show you that you can make this. He wants to, to, to walk you through this journey. You know what else he wants to show you? He wants to show you who you are to you. He wants you to see who you are. He'll show you who he is, but he wants you to see you. 
He wants to see, because you know what Joseph could have done? Nope, nope, I'm out. Not a chance. This is crazy. This is dumb. I'm out. Get me out of this mess. God, I quit. You know what? No angel. I don't want that dream. I'm done. I'm going to divorce her. He could have just done that. Took the easy way out. He would have been righteous in doing that. But what happened when pressure was applied to his life? He was proven to himself. God didn't have to be him proved. He didn't have to prove himself to God. God already knew what he was. He needed to know who he was. Why? Because Joseph was about to sign up for the hardest job on the planet. Joseph was about to sign up for the loneliest gig ever. Joseph was about to engage himself in a journey that no one will understand. Joseph was heading into the darkest night of his life, and he needed to know he could do it. Hmm. Joseph had every right to divorce her. In Jewish culture, when you stepped outside the bounds of marriage, when you stepped outside and violated that marriage uh, agreement, that betrothal, you were ostracized by your family. You would have been ceremonially unclean if that were to happen. Joseph had something to protect. Do you realize that Joseph was born in the line of David, the King David, right? He was born in the bloodline of King David. Translation, if you follow the lineage out, did you know if kings were around in those days, if they would have continued having kings, do you know who would have been sitting on the throne then? Joseph. Lowly carpenter. <laughs> he would have been the king. He was in the bloodline of King David, right? You know what that shows us? It shows us that Jesus, who was his stepson, was legally in line for the throne, you're saying, yeah, stepson, nothing. What do you mean? It wasn't real blood. How could he have been in the bloodline if Joseph wasn't biologically his father? Great question. Because Mary was also in the line of David. And Mary came down. So get this. Jesus' royal blood came through Mary. Jesus' kingly position, his legal position, came through Joseph. What are the odds that that all happens just like it's supposed to? Because he's the God of details. Because he's the God who knows everything. Because he's the God who wants to walk you through your stuff. Hmm. Open over to Luke chapter 2. He's a God who understands details. How could he, he brings all that together? Listen to this. Chapter 2, verse 1. At the time, the Roman Emperor, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken through the Roman, through the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the king of Syria. You know, that's really important. Like, these things weren't happening. Censuses weren't, like, going on all the time. By the way, is there any more impractical way to count people than that? Right? Send out a messenger with a pen and paper, you know, but somehow they uproot everyone to go to one place. Verse 3. All returned to their own towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem of Judea, David's ancient home. He, had, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first, she gave birth to her son, a child, a son. Listen to this. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth. Important. Wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, I, I read my Bible and, and oftentimes I, I ask myself, does it pass the sniff test? 
Does it pass the eye test? Is there something I'm missing? It's weird to me to think that there was no room for them in the end. This is the God who who lined up generations to come to this situation, right? It's amazing to me that God of the entire everything wouldn't make housing arrangements. I I don't understand. Like there's no room for them. He certain there has to be a reason. Because the Bible that I read shows God with reason all the time. Well, Lance, maybe the reason was is because Jesus was supposed to be born in a stable. You know, hay and cows, donkeys, the whole deal, right? That's, maybe that was it because he was lowly and that was supposed to be. That works. But maybe there's more. Maybe there's something beyond the message. I, I just wonder sometimes, right? When I say it doesn't pass the sniff test, I, I just, I, I think to myself. Now, remember in Bethlehem at this time, there was all of Mary's family, I mean, cousins, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, grandmas, cousins, brothers, sisters, all the way around. There was Joseph's family, brothers, aunts, uncles, cousins, sisters, moms, dads, all there, right? All there. And by the way, the word inn in the Bible, there was no room in the inn, translates two ways. One, building with many rooms, or two, extra room on the back of the house. Guest room. It translates guest room. Let's do the math on that. Could you imagine Mary Joseph show up, obviously pregnant, knock, 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 auntie, uncle, sister, any room, mom, nothing, nothing. See, if they would have allowed Mary to come in and have her baby in that home, you know what happened? They would have been defiled and ceremonially unclean. They wouldn't have been able to offer the sacrifices. They wouldn't have been able to do what they were doing. And so it was more, they got so trapped in the law that they forgot the love. They get so consumed with the duty that they forgot the relationship. That's exactly what happened. And so instead, Mary and Joseph out. They they had to go somewhere else, right? They're going to have a baby, obviously. Hmm. The Bible that you read is filled with meanings that have meanings. It's all over the place. In the Old Testament, remember the children of Israel, when they crossed into the promised land, Moses raises up his stick and uh, the waters part and they, they cross through the promised land. The promised land, what is the promised land to you and me? I think it's a place of maturity. I don't think it's heaven because in heaven, I don't want to fight battles like they fought. I think in other words, you get saved and you cross over into a place of maturity. You have to subdue a few giants. That's what they had to do, right? So that the meaning of them is the same meaning for us. Jesus parts the waters, makes a way. We grow up into places of maturity, subduing giants along the way. Ah, I see the meaning in the meaning. I think God does that everywhere in the Bible. I think this whole narrative is another one of those. Meaning inside the meaning. Which throws me because I end up with the Americanized version of our Christianity that throws Jesus and Mary in a stable. And and I'm just like, that doesn't make sense. Like there's something more to, there's gotta be something beyond this. And now listen, if I'm messing with your nativity scene, sorry about that. Uh, I'm just saying, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's not. Hmm. Luke chapter 2, open your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angels reassured them. Don't be afraid, they said. Or he said, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem in the city of David. And this is how you'll recognize him. You'll find a baby lying in a manger wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Suddenly the angel was joined by the vast host of others. 
the armies of heaven, praising God, glory to God in the highest, and peace to people on earth, uh, peace to people on earth, to all whom God favors. When the angels had returned to he- then the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds went with each other, come on, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this wonderful thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. You know, this, this modern-day nativity scene thing that we have, you know, we have the sheep, goats, cows, all kneeling, and Mary and Joseph with hay, and all that stuff. This makes me stop and think, God, really? Bringing into all of humanity the, the Savior of the world in, into a lowly, I get that. I'm confronted with a couple of questions, though. I'm confronted with the idea of the God who, who knows details, the God who does details, the God who has meanings inside of meanings. I'm just struck with there's nothing else that matches that. There, there's got to be some reason here. I'm, I'm struck with the fact that, that, that angels were the first ones to find out. But like, why, why angels? It, it's amazing to me because they were shepherds, right? Who were shepherds? Shepherds in those days were basically the lowest rung on the socioeconomic ladder, right? They, they were like, they were there, they kind of did the the ugly work, but they were shepherds, right? They, they kind of had the, the hard, ugly job. It amazed to me that once those shepherds get this, hey, by the way, in, in the city of David, in Bethlehem, there's going to be the Savior born, and then the whole sky lights up with angels, bazillions of them, and they all start singing, glory to God in the highest. I mean, it's dark. It's not dark anymore. I mean, I'm talking like, drop to their knees, what just happened kind of moment, right? You got to know. It dawns on me th- the other day as I'm reading my Bible, why didn't God do that over the top of Bethlehem so that everyone else saw it? Would have saved Mary and Joseph a little grief. But why didn't like God do the angel thing over King Herod's thing? Could have saved a lot of time. Jesus born, Savior. I mean, what, what if, why didn't God just like do it over the, the Roman Empire? I mean, he could have done it anywhere, right? But instead, God shows shepherds. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he start with shepherds? I'm glad you asked. Bethlehem. What is Bethlehem? Bethlehem is also known as the house of bread. That's the name Bethlehem means that, house of bread. Bethlehem, house of bread. Jesus, bread of life. Jesus breaks the bread. I am the bread, right? Jesus, so Bethlehem was where he was born. That's the house of bread. He was supposed to be born there. That's a perfect spot, right? House of bread, of course, right? You see God adding the thing up. But why Bethlehem? Now, you need to understand something about Jewish culture. Jewish culture back then uh, required them to sacrifice two lambs on the altar at the temple every day. Two little lambs every day. Two little lambs. I mean, then the lambs had to be perfect. They had to be spotless without blemish. In other words, they couldn't be white with a spot or, or, or uh, 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 perfect, but have some weird appendage. They couldn't have any. It had to be perfect. Any flaw, they didn't qualify as a sacrificial lamb, Right? Two of them every day, 730-some lambs every year. And then they get to Pentecost and get this. Every single human family brought another sheep. And so not only were there a whole bunch of lambs being sacrificed that day, but everyone brought lambs. I mean, like thousands of lambs in the city of David just killing sheep all day long. And I'm certain that people are just like, blood. I mean, there had to be gallons of it just running down. Yeah, come on. Could there be any, come on, be honest with yourself, right? You, there wasn't like this clean moment. I think God intended it to be ugly and messy. I think God's intention was to say, guys, do you realize that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin? God's intention was to show humanity that sin costs life, that sin makes a mess, that every one of us are responsible 
That was the whole point. God wanted to just show this ugly, just this moment where we're like, yeah. So we'd finally go, oh, this can't be right, God. He was wanting to say that so that we would go, but what is right? <laughs> show us. So at the temple, two lambs sacrificed every day. Well, you couldn't just after a while say, hey, run to your uncle's house, see if he has another you know, unblemished sheep. You know, maybe you go to your sister's house. Maybe she's got one we could sac- you know, for the evening sacrifice. You didn't, right? What they had was they were, there was a city called Bethlehem that raised sacrificial sheep, uh, sacrificial lamb. That, that was the whole idea of Bethlehem. You know, cities are known for things, right? Every, even today, cities are known for things. I was raised in Enumclaw. That Enumclaw was known as the last stop before Crystal Mountain where you go ski, right? So people would stop in Enumclaw, get their food, their gas, buy things they shouldn't buy, and then go up there, right? And then they, and they come back. Uh, Yakima, go over there, buy apples, onions, awesome, right? You, you know, uh, Seattle, Seahawks, whatever you got. Like their music, I mean, there's things, right? Cities are known for stuff. Bethlehem was known for something. Bethlehem was known as the place that sacrificial lambs are born. Well, that sacrificial lambs are birthed, right? In other words, it was like the birthing center. Like they, they had to, they, the people who were shepherds there weren't the lowliest on the rung, by the way. The people who lived in Bethlehem who were, they were kind of working for the church. That they were, get this, this is real history. That they were real, that they were people who understood how to do, how to do animals, right? How to do it right. How to, how to mate this one with this one to get that one. And, and, and to keep the pure bloodline going, that they couldn't be impure, uh, they had to do it right. And, and they understood, you know, some of what it's like to be a veterinarian, some of what it's like to, to know the law, because they had to know what was legal. They had to know what was sacrificially pure. So, so, so they had this place, right? And here's the weird deal. Outside, inside the confines of the city of Bethlehem, it, there, there's a place called Migdal Edar. Migdal Edar. It's just this Hebrew word, right? Literally, um, it means uh, tower of the flock, right? It's in Micah chapter uh, 4, verse 8. It's in there, right? But nevertheless, it's this place inside of Bethlehem. And, and, and here at this place was the place that the, the shepherds would take the ewes, the ewe lambs, and they would bring them in there. And then they would, they'd, 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 they, would have, they would give birth to their babies, right? That, that was the thing. And it was so important that they do it right. Because the, if a ewe decided to have a baby out in the field and it falls on the ground and gets defiled because it hurts itself, it was unqualified for the sacrifice. It was a big deal. I mean, to be Jewish, to, to do it right. I mean, it was like they, trust me, if they were going to ostracize a daughter, a sister, or whatever, they were concerned about the sacrifices that had to be pure and right in every little detail. So these shepherds were different than other shepherds. These shepherds were in Bethlehem. They were the, the Bethlehem shepherds who prepared the sacrifices for the temple. Hmm, interesting. Amazing to me. Listen to this. Lambs, when they're born, I've never seen it, but apparently lambs, when they're born, come out a little, little, a little edgy. They come out, they flail their, their legs. They, they just, they, 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 right? they, they flail around a bit, right? And, and they could hurt themselves. They could break a leg. They could uh, cut themselves. And if they cut themselves, they bleed. They're unqualified. They're ceremonially unclean. I mean, like everything, right? So, so the, the shepherds, when the baby lambs would come out, Here's what they would do. They wanted to make sure that they could keep the lamb still enough so that they could examine it because it had to be examined so to make sure that it was pure and spotless and then it could go over here. If it was spotted or whatever, it would go over there and, and they could figure that out. Here's what the shepherds would do. When the baby lamb would give birth, they would take the baby lamb, they would wrap it snugly in strips of cloth and then lay him in a manger. 
and then examine him. In fact, the manger that he would lay him in wasn't like we think manger, you know, that looks like this with wood and truffle. Trust me, in the Middle East, wood wasn't abundant. In the Middle East, rocks are abundant. So here's what they did. To make a manger, they would hewn out big rocks, big holes inside of big rocks. And they would, they, would put the, they would make a manger out of that. And so it was a rock is what they did. And so imagine Mary and Joseph when they come and they lay Jesus down in, on the rock. Like Abraham did to his son Isaac when he offered him as an altar to sacrifice. It's, it's a beautiful picture. It's, a, it's amazing to me. that I stop and think like the God of details. <laughs> the, the God who could have thought this through. Now I'm certain I've messed with your manger scene. I, I'm certain I have. And, and if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I, I just make sense to me to stop and think, wait a minute. You did The reason they didn't have room in the end was because you're bringing up the Bible. I get it now. That's how I read my Bible. Ah, that's how these conversations, right? So what if God is still that God? What if God knows every sorrowful moment of your life and he allowed it? because he wants to get you to Migdal Idar. What if the, the non-answers of the doors, because trust me, there would probably have been no worse feeling of rejection than traveling several days, 10 days on the back of a donkey, being nine months pregnant, and knocking on doors, and no one answering when they're all your family. Could you imagine the rejection that Mary must have felt? Can you imagine, really, God? Really? You're bringing us here for this, and now you disappear on us? You might have had that very thought in your own life. Like God brings you to a point and you're like, really God, you brought me here and this is what we get? And little do you know, God has McDolly Dar sitting right outside, right outside your eyesight because he's got a plan. He's always had a plan. God's never not had a plan. See, the Bible says the plans I have for you, says the Lord, are good ones. He's got plans, but it includes trials. Dang it. It includes struggle. Man, it includes disappointment. I didn't sign up for that. Sometimes I think the disappointment in life is, is like the weightlifting of life. It's as if, it's as if the, the weights come down and it's like, God, this is too much, and it crushes me, or I push it up, and when you push it up, do you know how you get strong? Here's how you get strong. Lifting heavy things, right? And some of you are like, God, make me strong. And he's like, all right, here's a trial, right? What, getting strong, right? You're lifting heavy things enough times, you get strong, right? Why did they need to experience this rejection? God needed them to walk this thing out because for the rest of their lives, they were ostracized from their families. How do I know that? Eight days after Jesus's life, they go to the temple. The temple was where they, no one knew the name of a baby boy. And after eight days when they were circumcised, whole family gets around and watches the circumcision. Nothing more fun than that, right? <laughs> you imagine? Look at that. Good cut. I mean, like, I can't imagine, <laughs> like, that was the moment, right? Here's the crazy thing. And then they would say, what's the baby's name? How do I know that? Look at John the Baptist, his dad, Zachariah. His name would be John. Jo- Joseph and Mary show up to the temple. They bring their little sacrifice of doves because that's all they could afford. And get it, get this. They go to the temple. They go to, to, to say his name. You know who shows up? No one. Well, Zechariah and Anna, I mean, just some people who were prophets that were in there who already knew that they were coming. No family. That was the most important day. How about Jesus later on? I'm telling you over and over and over, they, lit, they signed up for a life of loneliness. And yet all along the way, I got to believe that God showed up and God spoke to them and God said, I'm here, we got this, you're going to make it. 
I'll never leave you. I know your hurt. I know your pain. I know your victory. Watch this. Today, I want to invite you into that relationship. For some of you, your relationship with God has kind of been this, this thing that just kind of happens, and you say your prayers, and you, 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 you sing your worship songs, and you read a Bible, but it's never really a relationship. It's more duty. It's more, more something that you do because you want to keep God off your back. I don't know if that's your walk with God, but it certainly was mine. And there came a day when I finally realized there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's got to be a relational aspect to this God. And somehow in his grand plan, he led me to himself to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I surrendered my life to him. And see, today, I want to invite you into that moment. Maybe you have said prayers for a long time, sang songs, read scriptures, taught classes. Maybe whatever it is you've done, but you just know that you know that you know that you're not really... You don't have that walk with God that you want. I want to invite you into that relationship today. So will you pray with me? God, this morning, there's people who are hearing this story and for the first time in their life, they're seeing the improbability, the improbability of all of the things that happened to bring about your big answer to our big problem, Jesus. And then for the first time, somebody's seeing, man, God was about the details. God knew what he was doing. Maybe for the first time, they're realizing that you know what you're doing in their life. Man, I don't know where you are, but if you don't have that relationship to God, but you want it, I mean the real relationship, I want you to just say, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I give up. You found me. I surrender my life to you. And just because I want you to know that you know, if you did that today, will you raise your hand so I can see? I just want to give you a big hug. You today are surrendering your life to Jesus for the first time. Hallelujah. Maybe the first time in a long time you've walked with God before, you've surrendered your life to him, but your walk with God has kind of been one foot in the world, one foot in the church. You've kind of been tiptoeing the line. At some point you're saying there's got to be more than this. And God brought you here today as one of the details in your journey to show you that he knows where you are. And he sees how you're walking. And he wants to help you get on the right path. Maybe that's you today. You don't need to get resaved. You just need to get realigned. If that's you, I want you to say, Jesus, <laughs> I, come on, you, let's do it. Let's figure it out. I, I Forgive me. Forgive me for not walking close with you. I realign my heart with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's the Christmas story as far as I know. He's good. He's amazing. Amen. So, so, so listen, we, next week we have this uh, Christmas Eve, right? We have three services, two, four, and six. Guys, listen, I really want you to come. It's going to be an amazing time. I'll tell you what the Christmas service is going to look like, exactly like last year, right? And you know what? You know why? You know what last year looked like? Exactly like the year before. Why? Because I want it to, right? There's just a little bit of me that wants to do something that's traditional, Right? And so what will we do? We'll sing a couple songs. We'll hear the Christmas story. We'll light a candle, have some communion, and go home. That's it. Why do I want to do it? Because I want to do it with my family. I want to come together and break bread together with you as we celebrate Jesus, just like we did last year and the year before and the year before that. And we'll do it next year too. Come. Now listen, because we're having three Christmas Eve services, we're having no Christmas Day service. 
Why? Why? Because I value family and I want you to wake up with your kids on Christmas morning and not have them getting ready for church. Right? I want you to stay home. But, but let me leave you with one thing. No church does not mean no tithe. Do the math, right? No church does not mean no tithe. So please tithe. Go online and do that and help yourself out, help the church out. We have to keep the lights on. I, I want to have you give an opportunity to that. Amen? Amen. Oh, let's just stand up. God bless you. Hopefully you learned something today. God's so amazing. Will you turn and give someone a hug before you go? Be blessed.